Okay, I love that song we just sang last. I actually listened to that on the way here. And I don't know about you, but as we get into the new year, it just feels, it feels a little heavy, right? Like the weight of responsibility is getting ready to come back, you know, as we start the new year. And I was actually just sitting back there thinking, you know, I'm getting ready to preach and I don't feel all that spiritual today. Anybody else? Who feels super spiritual today? Like you just, you're just raring to go. Hopefully we do, but what we're going to talk about this morning is the concept of covenant renewal and meeting with God. Okay, so I think it's a timely series that we're getting ready to do. It's about dwelling with Jesus, what that means from an Old Testament perspective, and then getting into the New Testament when Jesus talked about it. So let's pray as we get started before we get into God's Word. God, thank you so much for being among us. We just claim your promise that when we're gathered in your name that we're here with us. God, we are nothing without your presence in our lives. Lord, just convict us, challenge, and change us today as we start a new year, as we start a new series, and as we get into your word. We thank you that you are the God of miracles. We know that there are many of us here who need a breakthrough in our lives, like we just sang about, whether it's in our own lives, in the lives of someone we care about, or in our church, Lord. We need you to break through and work a miracle, and we claim that right now, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're starting a new series called Dwell. That's basically going to be the, the three weeks of January before Love Shelbyville. Today we're going to talk about Exodus 33 and Moses and the tent outside the camp. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus and how he makes his home among us in John 1. And then Blake's going to finish on Revelation 7 and how God is our eternal shelter. So a couple of things we want to get from this series as we start getting into it today are... Number one, when we dwell with Jesus, he doesn't change, but we always move. When we dwell with Jesus, he doesn't change, but we always move. We have to be willing to move with him. As we talked about last week, CCC, our church, is closing in on being 10 years old. Okay, it's hard to believe. For those of you, especially who've been here from the beginning, I'm sure that's hard to believe. But as we get into that 10th year this year, it's easy to become complacent, isn't it? Yes. It's easy for, let's expand that a little bit. Isn't it always easy to become complacent? To get, yes, there you are. Morning. I'm up here. Okay. It's easy to get complacent, right? We naturally gravitate, gravitate toward a state of complacency, don't we? Where we're comfortable, where we rest, where we feel safe, right? There is also a tendency for our church to do that to get complacent, to have this mentality of, well, we just are who we are at this point, right? That is easy to do. We have to resist that tendency to be complacent and comfortable. So as we're getting into this series, we're talking about dwelling with Jesus and the importance of it. We and Bla I and Blake, we're gonna ch we need to challenge ourselves as a church body to renew our covenant, our commitment to the Lord and to renew our covenant and commitment to this church. There is power in the collective body of Christ. I'm going to say that again. There is power in the collective body of Christ. So, at least for my part, this is not a self-help issue. Okay, this isn't, well, I'm just going to get my stuff together. It's a new year. This isn't New Year's resolutions kind of stuff. Okay, and I know that's the temptation early on. But there is power in the collective body of Christ. So as we come into this 10th year, the tendency is to be comfortable. The challenge is to renew our covenant and commitment. 
and to move where Jesus is moving us. We need to know that we're committed to one another in the things that don't change Jesus so that we can move with him in the next decade. We have to, this phrase kept coming to my mind this week, you know, one of our mantras here at Christ Community is go outside, right? But in some ways, I think we need to go back outside. It just kept resonating in my mind. I don't know why, but this parenthetically, go back outside. And as we'll see, and as we get into the story of the tents and Moses setting them up, I think some of us are just resting in our tents right now. And I think God is challenging us to move with him. So this week we're talking about Exodus 33. We're going to get into it in a minute. We're actually going to start with 32, the familiar story of the Israelites building the golden calf and all the ramifications of that. So the two main points for this week are, I just alluded to one of them, we have to value God's presence above his promise. We have to value God's presence above his promise. God is a faithful God. He always keeps his promises. Amen? But there will be an emptiness to that without his presence. What we have to long for to lead us is his presence, not his promise. Now, how do we dwell with him? We repent. We're going to see how the Israelites messed up. And guess what? In the story of the golden calf, we like to think we're Moses. Guess who we are? We're Israel, okay? We are the ones that set up gods above the one true God and worship and dedicate our lives to the wrong things. So how do we get there? How do we dwell with him? We repent, retreat, and renew. So we're going to get to that. Sound good? Everybody with me? All right, let's go. Let's dig into Exodus 32, okay? Now there's going to be a lot of scripture reading here. There's just a story to tell here. So I'm going to try to breeze through some of the scripture reading, follow along with me, and then we're going to glean some things out of it. Okay, Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make a... Now again, a little backstory here. These are the people that God has just delivered from Egypt in one of the most miraculous turn of events history has ever known. Okay? So that's the people that we're talking about. These, these events follow those events. So you would think, from a faith perspective, that they weren't really struggling with faith yet. Right? They had just seen God part the Red Sea and deliver them from years and years of oppression. So that's where we are. They're in the wilderness. They say, come on to Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. I love that. this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, that's a terrible idea. No, that's not what he said. How did, uh, you know, uh, there's so many questions as you read this story. How did Aaron think this was a good idea, <laughs> right? So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Again, just a crazy level of delusion, right? How could they exalt this golden calf above the one true God who had just delivered them? I'm going to skip down a little bit. The Lord told Moses, verse 7, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. 
how quickly they have turned away. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, this is not a par- this is, the next paragraph is not encouraging for this level of disobedience. Okay. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Yikes. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, and then skipping down, change your mind about this disaster you've threatened. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So again, I want to stop right here for a second. Moses had every opportunity here to walk away from the body and to exalt himself, right? He was faithful, but he recognized where we started, which is there is power in the collective, okay? So he reminded God of his promise, and then we see here in verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So the Lord kept his promise at Moses' pleading. But Moses, don't you think Moses was frustrated to hear that? He could have easily said, right, I'm done with them too, God. Hey, God, I'm with you, dude. Wipe them out. These idiots, they complain about bread. You know, I got to smack rocks to get water for them. Like, what else can I do for these people? Right? He had to be frustrated, but no, he recognized the power in the collective. And he urged God to keep his promise. Now Moses comes back to Aaron. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Now usually, with the golden calf story, and I even found this as I went back and read through Exodus 32, we usually stop there with the golden calf, don't we? We usually stop and say, I can't believe they built a golden cap. Man, these Israelites were so dumb. How did they do that? Just kind of a crazy Old Testament story. We just kind of stop there, right? Or at least I have in the past. I don't recall ever getting into and studying, well, what happened after the golden calf? Well, Moses comes back to Aaron and he shouts to the people, verse 27, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each of you. Okay, so he calls the people over. Let let me back up. All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And the Levites, who who were the priestly tribe, came and joined them. Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone. Even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Anybody, Anybody do that in Bible school growing up? I don't remember that part of the story in Bible school, do you? That's a pretty harsh consequence, right? Because again, God keeps his promises, but he cannot dwell with sin. There are consequences for sin. And we'll get into what those mean for us later, but I think what it means for us is if we have something that's separating from us from God's presence, we need to kill it. And that's what he's calling us to do. If there's something that's separating us from his presence, yes, he'll keep his promise, 
but what we really need is his presence. And if we want his presence, we better kill whatever's keeping us separate. Then Moses goes on to intercede for Israel. So that's the backdrop from chapter 32, the story of the golden calf, and leads us into 33. So a couple things I want to hit on in 32 before we get into Moses building the tent outside the camp. Again, like Israel, I think we have to face the fact that many of us have turned away from how Jesus commands us to live. It's just reality. Israel had turned away from the God that delivered them in much the same way we as a church have turned away from how Jesus commands us to live. We've committed the same sin that Israel did. We have gods that we put ahead of the one true God. And those may look different for all of us. And for some of us as a collective, as a church, it may look the same. But we have things that we prioritize over having the presence of God in our lives. And there are consequences for that. So again, I think the analogy or the application for us is we have to search our own hearts and we as a church have to search and think if there is something that is separating us from the presence of God, then we need to kill it. Because His presence is what we seek. It's what we need. Now the encouragement that we get is even when we're not faithful, God is. He will keep His promise. But again, there is power in the collective and in the corporate repentance and renewal of the church. But we have to value his presence above everything. So let's get into chapter 33. Again, stick with me on these scripture readings. I know it's a lot of reading, but we have to tell the story. Okay? So following all of that, Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from Egypt. Go to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out all these peoples. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. <laughs> There's just this fatherly vibe here. Right? Like I just have this vision of this long road trip on vacation. Like, if I don't get out of this van, I'm going to kill all you people. <laughs> and so again, God keeps his promises. But let's not gloss over the fact he has removed his presence from Israel. This is a big deal. He has been leading them personally with his presence through Moses. And now he says, because of what you've done, I'm removing my presence from you. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Skipping down. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Okay, so... Here's where we get into the concept of repentance. Okay, the Israelites have made huge mistakes here, and they realize that God's presence has been removed from them. And it kicks, us in, in, it kicks them into mourning, and they change their actions. And I wonder if we do the same. When God's presence is gone, when there's something between us and Him that takes His presence from us, do we mourn that? Do we change what we're doing? Are we willing to kill what's separating us from Him? It's an important question. Verse 7, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is just one of those moments when I read these scriptures that I'm just a little bit jealous of Moses. here. Now, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have been worthy of walking in Moses' shoes, but aren't you a little bit jealous when you read that? He was in the tent speaking with God face to face as a friend. And then you read down, Moses would go back to the camp and Joshua would just stay in the tent. He's like, I ain't going anywhere. God is here. I want to be. So Joshua and Moses valued his presence above everything. Moses sees the Lord's glory. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people to the promised land. I'm going to breeze through this a little bit. Verse 13, if it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Again, we just see here in verse 16 how much Moses values God's presence. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all of the people of the earth. That's the verse that stood out to me the most that should apply to the church. Let me read it again. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. We can get to a place, can't we, where we think that we're so good or that what we do is so good, that's what sets us apart, right? It's easy to get comfortable in that place. It feels good, doesn't it? Like, oh, look at this thing I did. Look how I sacrificed this to help this person. It can be very easy to think that what we're doing out of whatever motivation we have is what separates us from all other people, but it's not that. It is the presence of God. Period. Moses recognized that without his presence, then we're just in the world of self-help and humanitarianism, or worse, disobedience. So let's dig deeper. How do these actions of Israel and their response apply to us as a church? As I've talked about, number one, we overvalue receiving God's promise and undervalue dwelling in his presence. Let's be honest, we're Israel sometimes, aren't we? We forget what he's done as soon as it gets tough and we go right back into whatever was separating us from him in the first place. We set goals, we claim God's promises, and then we get too impatient to stick it out. Let's get more specific to us as a church. Sometimes here at CCC, if something doesn't make us better immediately or produce fruit right now, we don't have the discipline to stay with it. We just move on to the next thing. Sometimes it prompts us to change churches even. We leave a group before relationships can even form. We don't stick with a spiritual discipline long enough for it to change our hearts. 
We may not have seen every part of CCC's vision come to pass in the last 10 years. We have to stick it out with Jesus and move with him to see his plan for us come to pass. How will we respond to this challenge? This is like a lot of sermons that I prepare for. You know, I meet with Blake Wednesday or Thursday and talk about preaching. And I think, oh, the golden calf story, that'll be fun. It's convicting. (laughs) I'm Israel. I'm not Moses. I have disobeyed. I've messed up. I've walked away from the way he's called me to live. We have, as a church, we have to recommit and renew. The second point that we've talked about, God's promise never fails, but that doesn't mean he always dwells. His promise never fails, but that doesn't mean he always dwells. As we read, his response to the Israelites was to let them know that they can still go to the promised land. The promise won't fail. But instead of him traveling with them, he sent an angel. He took away his presence. As a side note, how many of us might actually like that? And what I mean by that is, there can be some pressure that comes with the presence of God. Right? There's an expectation When we're walking in God's presence, when we're in tune with Him, He's going to call us, push us, challenge us to more, right? Sometimes I think we might rather just have the angel so we can feel like we're taking care of it ourselves, right? So we have to ask ourselves, do we want the pressure of God's presence that's pushing us, again, to go outside or to go back outside? As a result of Israel's disobedience and sin and God removing his presence from them, God set the tent up outside the camp. In the same way, as I mentioned, God's presence in our lives and in our church can be interrupted by sin, but his promises are always true. A couple scriptures on that. Deuteronomy 7.9. I love reading scriptures about God's promises. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Second Timothy 2.13 says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Aren't you thankful for that? We're all unfaithful. Nobody's seeking perfection here. But even when we're unfaithful, He remains faithful. And as Hebrews 10.23 says, we can hold tightly to that without wavering to this hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promises. God's promises are immune from the effects of sin, but He cannot and will not be present with it. We see that in the story of Israel, and we have, can, and will see it in our church. If we don't kill What's keeping his presence from us, he will remove it. We have to prioritize God's presence over his promises. His presence is what we need. So some tough questions. I mean, this prompted me to tough questions for me and for our church. Is Jesus traveling among us or have we become, like Israel, a stubborn, rebellious, set-in-our-ways people? We have to ask that. If we have become that, are we broken because we've messed up? And are we willing to change our actions over it? Do we mourn the absence of God's presence like Israel did? Think about the areas of your own life. Think about our church. 
if his presence and where his presence is absent, do we, warn, do we mourn that? Do we long for that? Are we still outside? Are we still going outside? Or do we need to go back outside and renew that commitment to what God's calling us to? Meeting with and making requests of the Lord, or are we just content to stay in our own tent? Are we willing to remain outside so that we can meet with, speak to, and hear from Jesus as a friend like Moses did? God wants that intimacy with us and his presence. He wants to communicate with us. Do we share Moses' prayer to know God's ways and understand him more fully so that he will go with us and give us rest? Or would we rather just have the angel or something else lead us so we can handle things on our own? I'm a control freak. Ask anybody who knows me. I'll, I like to control every detail. But you know where the freedom is? When you let go. So if Exodus 33 and all these questions leave us broken and wondering, how do we get there? How do we dwell? So it's time to get practical. I think I say that just about every service at some point. Time to get practical. How do we dwell? How do we take this story of the Israelites how they messed up as a collective, how they repented and mourned the loss of God's presence, and what can we learn from it as a church. Everybody still with me? All right. Number one, repent. Where we've messed up, and we all have, and we have as a church, we must repent. Going back to Exodus 33, verse 3, Verse 4, rather, when the people heard God's stern words about him removing his presence, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. And from that time on, they wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Israel realized, Israel realized that they didn't want to or couldn't do it without the presence of God. They had messed up. We must do the same. So what do we need to stop wearing? What do we need to cast aside that we never wear and put on again? What do we need to kill that is separating us or causing God to remove His presence from us? If our hearts aren't broken over the sin that we allow to remain in our lives or in our church, nothing's going to change. Because the presence of God is the change agent. A couple of scriptures about repentance. Second Chronicles 7.14 Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. All of these things in the first part of that verse are in the conjunctive, which means you have to do them all. These aren't or, right? Let's read them again. If my people who are called by my name and will humble themselves, number one, which isn't easy, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. They're all action steps, and it's in the conjunctive, which means if we want to be forgiven and to hear from heaven, then we have to do them all. All right, next scripture about repentance. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Acts 3.19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repentance is an action step. Repentance is not a difficult concept, but it's a hard thing to do. It's simple. 
we like to muddy the waters, don't we? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I need to do this or this. Well, it's an action step, repentance. We've got to stop wearing our sin. We have to... No, let's just break down repentance, okay? Number one, whatever you're doing that's separating you from God's presence, just stop it. Right? I mean, isn't it that simple sometimes? Sometimes it's not. I get that. There, I mean, addiction is real, but sometimes we just do things that we just need to quit. So stop it, confess it, seek Him, and start a new habit. Create space for the presence of God. Repentance is simple, it's hard to do. But we've got to face it if we want God's presence. Okay, so if we want to dwell with Him, number one, repent. Number two, retreat. Moses took the tent of meeting outside the camp. And that's where he would meet with and talk with God. That's where Joshua refused to leave because they were meeting with the presence of God there. We can't continue to run our lives at this breakneck pace and expect God to dwell with us. I'm going to say that again. We cannot continue to run our lives at a breakneck pace and expect God to dwell with us. That is idolatry of self. We all do this, right? We do it as a church. We do it as a family. We run at a breakneck pace. I always joke with people that I always have someplace I have to be and I'm always five minutes late. That's my life. And so you can see why when I'm reading through this, this isn't the interesting little story of the golden calf. This is conviction that goes to the heart of how badly do I want God's presence? How badly do we want to meet with Him? We all need a tent of meeting or a tabernacle to meet with Jesus. We have to retreat. So these are some good points that I got from Blake that he got from the church planters boot camp. Okay? So this is really practical. Four practices to incorporate to retreat with God. Any or all of us can, could benefit from all of these. Number one, a daily divert. And let me just stress before I get into it, this isn't about checklists or formulas. Okay. I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in the church and I was checking all the boxes. Well, I'm not listening to bad music and I'm not doing it so everything's good, right? No. It's about your heart and the presence of God. But there are practices that we can put in place to create space for God's presence in our lives. Right? Number one, a daily divert. A daily quiet time. A time where you not only squeeze in a devotional, but you give God space to speak to you. I need to work on that. Anybody else? Number two, a weekly withdrawal. A Sabbath or rest day. Is there a day that we stop? Is there a day filled with things that fill us instead of draining us? This is a can't afford not to issue. To not practice this is basically saying that we don't have faith in a God who gives us everything we have to help us get everything done. Right? It's taking control and trying to do everything ourselves. Number three, a monthly maintain. A day away that includes seeking God's plans and not just your own. A day that includes a couple hours reflection. Now, how, many, how many of you, when I say that, had the same reaction I did? Which, there's no way I can do that. There is. You can do a monthly... Main, when is the last time that any of us stopped for two hours just to reflect with God? But doesn't it sound good? And then for an annual abandon. 
two to three days away at a retreat on a mission trip. I just told you about one. Or at a camp that helps us refocus on our ultimate mission to be a follower of Christ. If we are always running at a breakneck pace, we will lose sight of our ultimate mission. I promise you. And in some ways we have, if we're being honest. So again, four practices to incorporate retreating with God. Number one, a daily divert. Number two, a weekly withdrawal. Number three, a monthly maintain. And number four, an annual abandon. I think there's value there for us as a church and for us as individuals and in our families. And yes, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but it's a pretty good time to start a new habit as we get back into routine. And this is speaking to me, convicting me, like I hope it is all of us and as a collective. So if we're talking about dwelling with God, we repent, we retreat, and we renew. So as we're coming down the home stretch here, Moses in Exodus 33 is seeking to renew the people's covenant with the Lord and with His presence. This serves two purposes. Number one, it recognized that the people had broken the initial covenant. And again, they mourned that. They broke their covenant by setting up other gods. Number two, it honored the grace that God was showing him by still keeping his promises. We need to do the same. To whatever extent we've broken our covenant, we need to recognize that, repent for it, and renew it. And we need to thank God for the grace that He shows us, that He still loves us and keeps His promises with us. Amen? So when it comes to the covenant of CCC, we've gone through a process in the last year so that Blake's going to get into more over the next few weeks or months. But we are really trying to drill down on the covenant here at the church and what renewal of the covenant as a church body looks like. So a couple of steps that we've gone through is number one, the listening sessions. About this time last year, if you guys recall, we had listening sessions that people could attend to try to voice what expectations, questions they have. And the point of that was to try to discover if there were any unclear expectations of what it was to be a member here at CCC. And I think there was value there and we learned a lot. So we took that and now we've assembled a team to look at CCC's covenant and really drill down on what it means, what it says, help create clarity about what we believe and we feel conviction over God expects of us and of what we can expect of each other as we pursue him. So Blake's going to get back into that over the next few weeks. I think this series sets the table perfectly for that, but at the end of the day, this is where we land as we finish up. And the band can go ahead and come back up. Our desire above all else has to be to dwell with God. We have to value His presence more than we value His promises, His provision, anything else we think He does for us. His presence must be valued above all else. As a church, our hope, our goal over the next year, over the next ten, has to be to repent where we have broken covenant with God to change our actions. What jewelry, what do we need to lay down? What is the sin that is separating us from God's presence that we need to kill? We have to go outside. We have to go back outside to speak and to hear from Him and to receive understanding and rest from Him. There is power in the collective. 
We need to renew, recommit to Him, to our covenant with Him, and all together as to what He expects of us. Again, when we dwell with Jesus, He doesn't change, but we always move. Are we ready? And will we move with Him together in the coming year and in the next ten? I pray the answer to that is yes. And I pray that we do what's necessary, that we kill what's separating us from Him, and that we renew our commitment to Him and to each other as we start the new year and as we get into the series, we're going to flesh out what that looks like. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for Your grace, God, where we mess up. Lord, thank You for the Holy Spirit and His convicting power to draw us to repentance. Lord, thank You that You just want to be with us. You want to meet with us. That You love us that much. Thank You for loving us so much that You sent Your Son to restore the connection that You created us to have with You. I pray that You would call all of us as a church to repentance for where we have broken covenant with You, to retreat, Lord, help us, give us the discipline to create space for Your presence in our lives and hearts. And to renewal, God. Give us new life. Give us new love. Give us new joy for the covenant You're calling us to with You and the covenant You've called us to as a church. We want to dwell with You. We value Your presence above all else. And we're excited about what's coming as we start our equip classes, as we dig deeper into the covenant. And as we move forward with you, we're thankful that you're a God who never changes, but you always call us to move. So we pray that you'd make this word real to us. And we thank you for how you challenge and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.